There are over 7 billion people in the world, and I would say, and I think most of you would agree, that most of those people are perfectly lovely. Uh, there's just really great cultures of the world, even people who are from different backgrounds than you are interesting uh, when you get to know people. And so not everybody who's just like you is great, but like there's greatness all over the world. God has weaved together this tapestry of different cultures, languages, and there's just a beauty to all of it. People are really great, except when they're not, because every once in a while, some people are just not so great, and, not, and you, you're like, I don't think they're part of the beautiful tapestry. They're actually really annoying. They're being really, really difficult people. I, I was asking my office today, uh, this week, our, our staff, I was saying, you know, like, what are some of the kinds of difficult people that you have to deal with? They mentioned bosses, which I thought was not funny at all. Um, but, but, but I was like, you know, think about the different types of, of difficult people difficult people out there in the world, what, what do you have? And we came up with just a short list of, of some of the difficult, annoying people in the world. Uh, like, for example, people who talk during the movie. Um, isn't that annoying? Like, you're sitting here, like, in this room, how, how often has this offense happened? You're sitting there, and people are like, you know, just going on about it, and I'm like, I'm trying to watch the thing, and you're just too loud. Or like, it's, that's, that, that's not cool at all. Um, difficult people are people who put the toilet paper behind the roll instead of out in front of the roll. Um, yeah, I, let's settle this. <laughs> we can settle this right here. I mean, relationships are broken up for less than that. Um, and and it's, a, it's a big deal. And, and, I, and I don't know. Look, I don't care what the whole world does, what our culture does. Could we just agree in this room that we're going to do this the right way and that, you know, we, we just open this, we're getting this new space together. All the toilet paper is going to be out the front, guys, I promise, in the new, in the new building, uh, because that's the way it's supposed to be done. It's the way God designed it to be. Um, so, but people, it's just difficult people. Um, uh, Topher mentioned this one to me, uh, like people who don't put their shopping cart away after they uh, unload their groceries in their car, right? Like they have those little shopping cart corrals. Can you, can you please put your shopping cart away? It's not, it's not that hard. Like Topher was like, those people are monsters who do that. And I'm like, I know, like, and, and, and people are all worried about politics and all the things going on in our country. And I know there's a lot of stuff swirling around right now. And there's a lot of frustration, aggravation. I'm over here sitting here going like, yo, if we can't agree on the shopping cart thing, we're going to descend into anarchy as a society. Let's, let's all agree that this is where they go and don't just leave them out there to take up a parking spot, right? It's terrible. How about this? Um, people who don't clean up after their dog when their dog poops on the sidewalk. It's terrible, right? It's terrible. I don't understand that. Like, we, we got a dog this past year, something I fought against for years and years and years. Um, and when I finally gave him, we got a dog. And, uh, and, and, I, and I thought at the time, you know, like, I have three sons. I've raised three sons who are now, like, teenager age. And uh, so I, I put in my time of cleaning up poop. Like, I've done enough of that. I don't need to do that more. That's why I didn't want a dog. I'm like, I don't want to clean up after one more thing. Like, I'm over that stage of life. I don't have to do it. And it's just gross. You go to the bathroom, and then you have to, like, put your hand in a bag, and then you put it in there, and you pull the bag through, and it's just smelly. It's, it's just nasty, right? Like, I get it. It's gross. But what's more gross is when you just leave it there on the sidewalk, and you don't clean up after your pet. Like, that's, that, those are monsters. Like, why would you do that, right? Like, come on. There's difficult people in the world. There's, there's a ton of them. And, and there's difficult people with, with much more serious things as well. Um, you've probably had some friendships that had some betrayal. And you go, man, this is difficult. This is bad. You've had family members with some, some brokenness and some hard stuff. Or you go, man, this is a difficult situation. How am I going to deal with this person? 
Um, I have to see them at Thanksgiving. How am I going to, you know, my uncle, my brother, my cousin, my sister, how am I going to deal with this difficult person that I'm going to see? And I think if we're honest, we would also have to say, hey, um, sometimes I'm the difficult person. And, and how do I deal with that? Like, I'm frustrated about it in you, but it also shows up in me sometimes, and, and, and I don't like that. And so to, to look at that, we're going to go back to someone that we've been studying several different times this year, throughout, especially throughout the summer, a guy named Moses who lived 3,500 years ago. And Moses had to deal with all of this. He had to deal with difficult friends, which we're going to talk about today. He had to, difficult, uh, he had to deal with difficult uh, family members, which we'll talk about next week. And then he had to look in the mirror and see that he could be a difficult person. If they had mirrors back then, he would have seen that he himself was a difficult person at times as well. And so we're going we're gonna to get into that. To set the scene, let me, let me kind of give you a little background of the, of the situation. Moses is called by God to lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt in the year, it's like 1500 BC. God says, hey, uh, lead these people out of slavery and, um, and go to Pharaoh and ask him to release the slaves. So there's like a million slaves in, in Egypt building the pyramids and all that kind of stuff. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh. God shows up brings these plagues upon Egypt, and Pharaoh reluctantly, after the 10th plague, lets the Israelites go. They leave Egypt, and they start wandering out. They get to the Red Sea. Pharaoh sends his army. Moses' people, the Israelites, cross through the Red Sea on dry ground, and then God closes up the water and washes away the Red Sea, um, washes away Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. Now, if that sounds weird, it's miraculous for sure, but if that sounds like, I don't know if I believe that, you can go back and listen to it. We talked about it in August. Uh, we, did, we did a message series, and we kind of went through that and, and, and covered that as well. But after that time, Moses leads the Israelites through the desert for 40 years. And uh, that area of the world uh, is, is not pretty. It's not nice desert. I mean, it, it's not like Sedona, it's like um, dirty, dusty, no food, dry, hot, and they're wandering in there for 40 years following God who's appearing to them as a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. And, and Moses has this crowd of people, they're, they're following God around and doing this, and some of those people get to be pretty difficult for him to manage, understandably, and, and him at the top of sort of the leadership pyramid, like they're all complaining and grumbling up to him. And I want you to hear it. It's recorded primarily in the book of Numbers. You, you see some of the different interactions that the people have with Moses, and you get to see how difficult they can be because some of these people are his friends. Uh, listen to Numbers chapter 11, starting with verse 4. Now, the rabble that was among them had a strong craving and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. God gave them food in the desert. He gave them manna, this sort of bread-like substance. and He gave it to them every day. And so they ate the same thing every day. And I don't care how good it is. I don't care if it's chocolate. If you're eating it every single day, it eventually just gets old. And that's how they feel about it. Day after day, year after year, they're eating this same thing over and over. And they complain to Moses, and they're being difficult about it. They're like, look, yeah, okay, we're in the desert. Yeah, we get fed every day, but we miss meat. We miss fish. Remember? And they look back with fondness about their slavery in Egypt. You know, they're like, oh, they had cucumbers back there. As much as we want. I mean, they go through the whole menu, right? Like all these great things. We were able to have all the fish we wanted. And, and, and these people, many of whom are friends 
to Moses start grumbling to him about the food. They also complain about the water. Uh, Numbers chapter 20 says this. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Don't they always sound so dramatic when you read it? And they're like, oh man, if only we had died. It would be better than this. Why have you, continuing on, why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. I get it. It's the desert. It's not good. And if you're thirsty, I understand why they complain, right? I understand why you'd get a little, you know, edgy. You get a little difficult with Moses if you, don't, if you don't have water and they complain about that. We will read into that whole story in two weeks. So I'll, I'll, I'll let that one go. But they're, they're grumbling there about a lack of water. Uh, here's another one, Numbers chapter 12. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Weird, right? They were slaves. They were making bricks day after day for the Egyptians. They were beaten and whipped mercilessly. It was a hard life. And they're looking back at their time in slavery, and they're going, that wasn't so bad, and we had cucumbers. Like, it's not, you know, if, if only we could go back there. And then they're like, let's find another leader. This loser is just taking us through the, 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 the wilderness. Let's find, we'll find someone else, and we'll go back to Egypt. Who wants to go back to the dark situation that they were in before. Who longs for a return to slavery? Well, as I started thinking about that, I thought, you know, a lot of us do that. A lot of us do that. We pray for deliverance. We get in a hard situation and things are bad, and we ask God to get us out of that and move us out and move us into something better and, and bring us hope again. And when we get into that new situation, a lot of times we go, actually, it wasn't so bad back there, and we end up going back into the thing that we were trying to leave. I saw this at a church I used to work at years ago. There was a lady in a small group, and she was complaining about her husband. And to hear her complain, her husband was a bad dude. He was irresponsible and didn't love her well and didn't care for their family. And, and he had addictions and he had things going on. And so she would pray for him in the small group. And she asked the small group, pray for my husband. Here's all things going on. And the small group would pray for her husband. And they would, they would pray and they would ask God, God, please you know, deliver this guy, help him turn a corner, change his life, get on a new path, repent, all of these things. God, please work in this guy's life. And guess what happened? It worked. The guy changed his life. He started getting involved in the church and in the community, and he started to walk down a new path. And then do you know what happened? She left him. She was like, oh, I don't, no, I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to do this. And I was like, that's so, so weird. This, he's becoming what you've always prayed he would become. And, and, and I don't know what it is. Maybe sometimes, like, she was codependent, maybe, and, and at least, you know, codependency is not good, but at least it's consistent, and you know it, and you go, okay, well, I need him to be that way so I can be this way. And as soon as he changes to become something else, now I don't know who I am or what I'm doing. And, and she, she returned. She wanted to go back to a bad situation. And, and often, I think we, we do that. 
So all of this complaining to Moses, all of these difficult people, some of which were his friends, I think it's very difficult for him to hear, like to put up with. Man, just the grumbling, the complaining. And, and I'm sure he doesn't love being out in the desert e- either. I mean, even his friends are complaining. At him. His family turns on him in Numbers 12. We'll look at that next week. So how does Moses handle these difficult people? I think there's a couple things we can see him doing that would be applicable to us. And then I want to give us a couple principles out of that for the difficult people that we deal with in our lives. Um, first of all, l- listen to Moses in, in Numbers chapter 14. He's talking to God and listen to what he says. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Here's the people complaining to him, and in the midst of that, Moses then turns to God and prays for them and says, please forgive this ragtag bunch of idiots. Their sins, their iniquity of the, of the people, you're, you're God, you're great, you're loving, forgive them as you have been doing. Please continue forgiving them. He prays for the people who are difficult. Man, I don't, I don't know how you would be in that situation, but if you're leading a group, a large group of people and they're all grumbling against you, I don't know that I could pray this prayer very well like Moses did. I would have been like, okay, God, forgive the sins of the people. Don't wipe them out. Except a couple of them. I have a list. I've made a, a short list for you. If you could just smite like several people that are really annoying, and then we can move on with the good one, you know, something like that. But Moses prays for the people um, when they grumble against him. In fact, when, they, when the people turn their backs on God, he prays for them even harder. Deuteronomy uh, chapter, chapter 9, Moses is speaking to the people. Listen to what he tells them. Furthermore, he's relaying a conversation he had with God. Furthermore, the Lord said to me, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stubborn people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. God's over it. And Moses said, So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain was burning with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made yourselves a golden calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took hold of these two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. Then, listen to this, then I lay prostrate before the Lord as before, 40 days and 40 nights. So Moses is like, look guys, you have seriously blown it. God was so frustrated with you and all of your complaining and all, of the, all the ways that you were difficult. And, and I leave for two seconds and what do you do? You make a golden calf. You decide, yeah, God, I know God delivered us from Pharaoh. I know he parted the Red Sea. But that was then. This is now. We need like a little statue to worship or something. And they make this little golden calf. And they're like, we're going to worship the statue. We're going to be the people who worship the statue. And he's like, man, I leave for two seconds. And this is what you do. You make a mess of the thing. And, 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 and I love that at the end of this, he said, so I prayed. I lay prostrate before the Lord for 40 days, 40 nights. Moses falls on his face and prays for the people because of of what they've done. The difficult people that are driving him nuts, he falls on his face and prays for them. So let's talk about you. You have a difficult coworker, boss, uh, somebody on your team, somebody at school, or you have a difficult friend, somebody that you're close to, and they're being very difficult in this season or for this week or 
in, in this year? Um, what are some principles we can get out of this? Um, number one is this. Extend grace to difficult people just as God has extended grace to you. The truth of Scripture, what, what, we're, what we learn from, really from the Bible from beginning to end, what we see is that we are sinners. We, we mess up. We, we blow it. We have done stuff we're not proud of. All of us. There's no one that gets out of that. There's no one who's squeaky clean. Everybody is messed up. Uh, Isaiah, who writes 700 years after Moses, Isaiah writes this, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin, of us all. When it says all, we like sheep, the Hebrew word for all is all. It means everyone, right? It's, like, it's not very insightful, right? Every one of us, and God has laid the iniquity, the sin, on him. Who's the him? He's talking about Jesus. This is a prophecy about Jesus. Jesus is going to take all of our sin, all the ways we've blown it, on him on the cross. And Isaiah is, is prophesying and foretelling that is going to happen in 700 years later. Uh, so he, he writes, about, writes about that and says, look, all of us have blown it. The New Testament affirms that. It says, uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul writes that in Romans. That means God has extended grace to you when you were the difficult people. He died for you when you didn't even know you needed it. When you were, you were baptized into Christ, you gave your life to him, you were immersed in, into water, you're baptized. But before you did that, before you accepted Christ, you were difficult for God. You were the difficult person. You, were, you had a broken relationship with him, and he made it right between you and, and him. This is what God has done for us. He has shown us his grace. And if we own that and we recognize it and we go, man, God has done this for me, we should overflow with gratitude and we should overflow with love for other people because just as God has shown grace to you, he's also shown grace and love to someone else. And we need to do that as well. C.S. Lewis writes about difficult people and our interactions with them, and how it teaches us something about God. And I want to read this to you. It's a bit of a long quote, but just hang with it, because I think it's, it's really good. He, he calls about difficult people, and, and the difficult people he refers to as um, person X, or he just calls them X. So when he says X, think about a difficult person in your life, a difficult friend maybe. Listen to what he says. You know, in fact, that any attempt to talk things over with X will shipwreck on the old fatal flaw in X's character. And you see, looking back, how all the plans you have ever made always have shipwrecked on that fatal flaw, on X's incurable jealousy, or laziness, or touchiness, or muddle-headedness, or bossiness, or ill-temper, or changeableness. Up to a certain age, you have perhaps had the illusion that some external stroke of good fortune, an improvement in health, a rise of salary, the end of the war, would solve your difficulty. But you know better now. The war is over, and you realize that even if the other things happened, X would still be X and you would still be up against the same old problem. Even if you became a millionaire, your husband would still be a bully, or your wife would still nag, or your son would still drink, or you'd still have to have your mother-in-law live with you. It's a great step forward. Listen to this. It's a great step forward to realize that this is so, to face up to the fact that even if all external things went right, real happiness would still depend on the character of the people you have to live with, and that you can't alter their characters. And now comes the point. When you have seen this, you have, for the first time, had a glimpse of what it must be like to be God. For, of course, this is, in one way, just what God himself is up against. He has provided a rich, 
beautiful world for people to live in. He has given them intelligence to show them how it ought to be used. He has contrived all that the things that they need for their biological life, food, drink, rest, sleep, exercise, should be positively delightful to them. Exercise, not so much, but the others. And, and having done all this, he then sees all his plans spoiled, just as our little plans are spoiled, by the crookedness of the people themselves. All the things he has given them to be happy with, they turn into occasions for quarreling and jealousy and excess and hoarding and tomfoolery. You don't get to say tomfoolery too often in a sentence, so I had to get that in there. Um, what is he saying? He's saying um, you have to recognize that when you see these character flaws in other people, these ways that they're difficult, that this is what it's like for God to look at any of us. We are, uh, we are, we are just like the difficult people that we're frustrated with. We are, we are no better, better. So maybe the first step to dealing with difficult people is to recognize that we are def- difficult people also. And then we need to extend grace to other people. So that's number one. Number two, you need to pray for your own heart. When a friend is difficult, there's a real threat there to your own soul, to your own heart, to that deep place inside of you. If an enemy is difficult, you expect it. If a casual acquaintance is difficult, you look, nah, I didn't didn't need them anyway. But when someone is close to you as a friend and they're being difficult, there's a real temptation for us to grow bitter. Now, pain is inevitable. Suffering is inevitable. These are things that life will just deal out to you at some point. But bitterness is always a choice. You can choose to grow bitter. And the reason we need to pray for our own hearts while we're dealing with difficult friends is that that relationship is so close that we're friends with someone that, that we could grow bitter, and we don't want to do that. That's that doesn't hurt them. Our bitterness is actually going to hurt us and hurt our own heart and our own soul. Listen, Jesus prays on the night he is betrayed before he goes to the cross. And he is betrayed by one of his good friends, a guy named Judas. And listen, we get a little a, a window into Jesus' prayer. And I want you to hear what he prays about. Matthew 26, verse 39. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What is Jesus saying? He's not praying for the people who are going to betray him. He will do that later. He will say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they've done. But in this moment, in this little window we get into his his prayer life, Jesus says, God, if there's another way to do this, I I would rather do it a different way. That's what the cup, all all the... commentators will tell you this cup is the idea of the cup of suffering. Like, I don't want to drink from this cup of suffering, this crucifixion that I know I'm about to go to. And if there's another way, let's do that. And then he says, but nevertheless, not what I want, but you want what, what you want. And I, and I love here that we get this glimpse of Jesus kind of praying for his own, his own heart, his own emotions, his own will, his own desires as he faces this this horrible night and, and this horrible couple days that he's about to, to walk into. Um, as he faces that, he, he says, man, if there's another way. But then he says, whatever it takes, God, not my will, but your, yours be done. And I wonder if that would be a good prayer for us. If you're dealing with a difficult person, you're praying for yourself, say, man, whatever it takes, God, not my will, but your will be done. I had someone come to me after the service who, who has a, a relationship with an ex, and, and she said, look, I, I pray for him all the time. And I say, man, God, don't change him just change me but that's 
and, and she prays for her own heart in her relationship with this person. And, I, and yeah, pray for your heart um, as, as you deal with a difficult person. So number one is, uh, number two is that. Number three is pray for the difficult person directly. You see this modeled in Jesus when he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. But you also see it earlier from Jesus in Luke chapter 6. Listen to what he says. But I say to you who hear, and this is really radical stuff, what he's saying. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And we read that and think it seems crazy talk. It is completely impractical. Nobody does this. We don't love our enemies. We hate those people. That's why they're enemies. We don't do good to people who hate us. We get away from them. We don't bless those who curse you. We will try to bring the curses down on them too. And we certainly don't pray for abusers. And yet that's exactly what he calls us into is to do the opposite of our gut on this. Our gut is, I want to get away from those people. I want to I cut the difficult people out of my life. And Jesus says, no, actually, you pray for those people. In our culture, it's like, you, do, you need to cut out the negative people. You don't need no negativity in your life. And Jesus would say, actually, no, pray for the negative people. Now, he says pray for abu- your abuser. He doesn't mean, like, if you're being abused, go hang out with them and get a beer. Like, it's not, it doesn't mean you necessarily do that. But you still pray for people who are being difficult, especially if they're, if they're friends. But even then, he goes into enemies as well. Why would we pray for people who are difficult? Well, I think there's two things. One is that when you pray, it changes your heart. When you pray for them, you pray something positive for them, it softens your own heart towards them and helps you not grow bitter like we were talking about before. I think that's a... That's a a, a powerful thing of prayer, like prayer has a way of sort of altering our brain chemistry. It does some, does some powerful things there. So when you pray for the person who's being difficult and pray for their, God's favor on them, it changes you. You can't pray that prayer day after day, year after year, and continue in a posture of bitterness towards that person. But also, I think, when you pray for the difficult people, when you do the things Jesus is calling us to in those verses, um, it changes the world. And, and I don't mean that in like a let's all hold hands and sing kumbaya sort of way. I mean like nation states get in trouble with other nation states and, and countries and tribes and ethnic groups fight because you messed with me, I'm going to mess with you back, you hurt our people, we're going to hurt you even more. And we go back and forth and we, and, and we just do this, this thing and we never really put it away. We never, we never um, deal with the problem. We just keep one-upping each other. And Jesus is trying to get us off of that. How would the world be different if nations did what Jesus is saying individuals should do? How would it be different if we said, you know what? We're not going to invade our enemies this time. We're going to pray for them. We're going to try to do good to them. I think it's a, a game changer, just even like geopolitically, um, if, if, we could, if we could take Jesus serious here. So number three, pray for the difficult person. And then finally this. Resist the temptation to move away from the difficult person. And I mean this especially if that person is a friend. It is very easy in our social media culture to unfriend someone. That's not even a phrase we would use 15 years ago. I've unfriended someone. 
Um, but it's very easy to do, and it's easy to get to cut somebody off and move into a different social circle. It is very easy to say, I'm going to go hide, I'm going to become a hermit, I'm going to ghost on them, I'm going to just sit and watch Netflix, and I'm just going to block that out because I don't need that in my life. It's, and, and I understand that if it's an enemy, in a sense. But when it's a friend and we do that, we're actually missing an opportunity for growth. Because some of the growth God wants to do in our hearts comes at the hands of a friend. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, actually. So maybe God wants to do something and challenge us and grow us and change us. And we're not going to get it if we decide to get away from every difficult person in our lives. It is, it is precisely in the difficulty. It is in the rubbing of the lives together that creates the sparks that we go, oh, man, I don't like that. But that's where the stuff is. That's where the growth happens. And so maybe for you that means lean in a little bit. Even with the difficult person, resist the temptation. If it's a friend, resist the temptation to run away. But continue to act for their good. Do, look for little ways to bless them. Continue to pray for them. And if it's, and if it's safe to do so, grab coffee with them or, or get together with them. We have to remember this. Christ stayed engaged and didn't lean away from us, but he leaned into his own pain, his own suffering on the cross for us. He, the scripture says, he set his face towards Jerusalem. He said, I'm going to go there and die. I'm going, I'm definitely going to go do that. And he does it for us. Um, and if Christ had been disengaged, if he had said, they're just too difficult and I'm just annoyed with all of them, then we wouldn't be where, where we're at today. He has actually died for us and made us right with God. He's opened up a door to heaven for us and, and for paradise and, and for a future. Uh, he's brought a kingdom, his kingdom to earth. I mean, he did that because he leaned in and he stayed engaged. We're going to celebrate that as we, as, we, as we think about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And so you're going to have the opportunity to go out the left of your aisle, down the front. You can take the bread and dip it into the juice that represents the body and blood of Christ that's in these tables down front. And as you take this, I want you to remember that Christ died for your sin. But also, if you have a difficult friend in mind, I want you to, as you're taking communion, I want you to remember that Christ died for their sin too. That, that Christ is calling you to extend grace as well, just as he's extended grace to you. Um, and remember that person as you take communion as well, because they are every bit as loved by God as, as you are, as hard as that can be to believe it's true. So we're going to sing a, a worship song together, um, and we're going to take communion. And then after that, we got a couple things to, to tell you before we wrap up. So let's stand together. start before the beginning of time with no point of reference you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of life and as you speak 
billion galaxies are born In the vapor of your breath the planets form If the stars were made to worship so will I I can see your heart in everything you've made Every burning star, signal fire of grace If creation sings your praises, so will I God of your promise, you don't speak in vain, no syllable empty or void. For once you have spoken, on nature and science, follow the sound of your voice. As you speak, a hundred billion creatures catch your breath, evolving in pursuit of what you said. If it all reveals your nature, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you say Every painted sky, a canvas of your grace If creation still obeys you, so will I
salvation. You chased down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On a hill you created the light of the world, abandoned in darkness to die. And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Where you lost your life, so I find it here If you left the grave behind you so will I I can see your heart in everything you've done Every part designed and work of art called love you gladly chose surrender, so will I. I can see your heart a billion different ways. Every precious one, a child you died to save. If you gave your life to love them, so will I. Like you would again a hundred billion times. But what measure could amount to your desire? You're the one who never leaves the one behind. 